You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning, everybody, from uh, high atop the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, welcome, everybody, again to the show. Um, waiting on on Richard. I think he's got some technical difficulties down there in Knoxville. So uh, I'm sure he'll be joining us here shortly. But, you know, when you're doing it live, you never know what you're going to end up with. You there, Richard? I don't think he's oh. made it yet. He's still having issues. So... Anyway, I just wanted to uh, start out by saying, um, you know, I know a lot of you were there uh, at last week's AACA annual convention, um, a great event put on by a very capable staff uh, there at AACA headquarters in uh, Hershey, PA. Um, there were a lot of uh, really informative seminars uh, at the uh, convention. Uh, one of which was uh, put on by a, a good friend, uh, Alex Sultanas, um, about his very, very rare 1944 uh, Volkswagen uh, KDF wagon, uh, which is uh, just the forerunner of what we know today here in the States as the Beetle. And uh, what an exceptional story and restoration uh Saga, if you will, Alex has been working on that car, which is very, very rare, uh, for 20 years, multiple trips back and forth to Europe, securing parts for it, and uh, he's starting to get into the final laps of restoration on that. It's an exciting, exciting project, and uh, he's done just an absolutely wonderful job and did a great presentation on its uh, background and restoration. Um, at the AACA annual convention. There was also some other really great um, seminars that were given. Uh, one uh, by uh, Pat Mesher of Bob Speedometers. Everything you ever wanted to know about your speedometer but were afraid to ask. Really informative. You would have never known there was that much of interest about speedometers. Um, just sort of an everyday item that we all you know, make use of. But uh, the other thing I wanted to uh, mention was that uh, the AACA annual convention, one of their sponsors is, of course, J.C. Taylor. And uh, J.C. Taylor Autom Antique Automotive Insurance is something that I've used for the last 35 years. Um, and uh, they've been wonderful to deal with. And uh, Bob Wallace and his entire team were there on site um, at the AACA annual convention, and uh, they uh, sponsored the hospitality center there. So they they had a great setup there, and everybody had a had a had a wonderful time. Um, so wanted to uh, move on to as we're waiting for Richard, uh, move on to the uh, pick of the week. So this year, this this year's <laughs> this week's pick of the week is the uh, '64 Buick Riviera that I found uh, listed for sale in Northern Virginia. Uh, it's uh, 
the 63 through 65 uh, Buick Riviera was uh, GM's first foray into the personal luxury car market. Um, I think they were playing a lot of catch-up with Ford's Thunderbird, um, the personal luxury version of which uh, sort of debuted in 1958, and then they sort of refined that uh, 61 going to the bullet birds that we call them, as we call them, and uh, then uh, the Buick uh, division um, at the hands of the very capable uh, automotive uh, enthusiast, extraordinary designer Bill Mitchell, developed the uh, first Riviera, um, which, interestingly enough, um, Raymond Lowy, um, the designer of many things, uh, including the uh, Studebaker Avanti, uh, not known for his humility, um, Raymond Lowy said that the 63 Riviera was probably the most beautiful American uh, car on the market apart from his Studebaker Avanti. Um, these cars have been seeing a lot of action in recent years. The values have been increasing uh, steadily for them. They have a really, really tight following. Uh, the first year, 1963, uh, Buick wanted to lend a little bit of exclusivity <clears throat> to these cars. They limited production to only 40,000 vehicles. Um, just to make it seem like, you know what, they were harder to get and uh, really, really uh, well promoted by GM that first year. Uh, they were available initially with GM, our Buick division, uh, the unique uh, nailhead 401 engine, and uh, that engine got its name by its unique uh head configuration by which both valves were located on the intake valve side of the head and uh, it gave it a very vertical arrangement so it almost looked like the uh, valve covers they sit straight up uh, square on top of the engine going down. Um, Later uh, in 63 they were able to uh, offer a 425 cubic inch engine and then in uh, 64, they offered the 425, and they dubbed it the Buick 465, which was kind of a misnomer, really, because the uh, 465 stood for foot-pounds of torque. You know, everybody played around with that a little bit uh, back in the day to try to make things seem as though they had something that they didn't have, um, kind of like the uh, old 442, and uh, you know, certainly that's the case with the 465, as so-called uh, Bu- Buick engine. Uh, performance was really good on those cars, and uh, depending upon how it was optioned, um, zero to 60 in eight seconds was not not impossible uh, top speed somewhere in excess of 110 115 miles an hour um so pretty speedy sporty you know probably a good car for the up-and-coming executive um people who uh are just making their way in the world uh, you know i imagine there were probably a lot of uh, bank vice presidents sporting around in the uh, buick riviera um, there was also uh, in '64 a uh, 
high-performance variant sold, uh, which there were only a little over 2,000 uh, built. And that came with the super Wildcat engine, um, which just incidentally, the Wildcat is like, you know, my favorite engine name, but uh, but the Super Wildcat came with uh, dual uh, a- Carter AFB four-barrel carburetors and uh, really juiced it up quite a bit. Tom, um, uh, Tom, but, correct uh, me if, if I'm wrong, but didn't the Riviera, wasn't it one of the first uh, to have front-wheel drive? Uh, the first Riviera did, did not have uh, front, front-wheel drive. Um, it was only until uh, they uh, had front-wheel drive in the third generation of the Riviera. Hmm. The uh, Riviera was actually in production um, from 19... The Buick Riviera was, as a personal luxury, quote-unquote, was in production from 1963 all the way to 1999. Um, The vast majority of those were front-wheel drive. Uh, They did skip 1994, so before somebody nails me on that, there was no Buick Riviera Hmm. in 1994. No, why was uh, that? Besides, they just didn't I want it. <laughs> just simply because they were um, coming up with the new new model year and the new design, the final final iteration of the Buick Riviera, hmm. which uh, all years are pretty popular. Uh, the Boattail Riviera is particularly uh, popular, as well as the 63 uh, through 65s. Um, a lot of people love the 65 Riviera because it's got the unique uh, outboard clamshell hidden headlights, which is kind of kind of wild looking. Um, makes it really, really attractive for people. Mm-hmm. I remember. That's right. But this particular example uh, that I found appears to have no rust. Uh, the interior appears to be in really pretty good shape. Uh, some minor wear. Well, minor wear. I guess you'd have to have the front seat, driver's seat reupholstered. The rest of it looked like it would clean up pretty well. Um, very little, if no rust at all, um, in gold, a gold-on-gold car, uh, not an unusual color combination for the time period. Um, and at $8,500 um, or best offer, um, I, I think you could get into that car probably for somewhere around $7,500. And, uh, you know, that would be a, a heck of a nice place to start with, a car that you could not only have as a project car, but you could drive it while you're working on it, while you're bringing it up and making it making it better as you go. Um, so for me, that was an exceptional choice, and uh, I, uh, I heartily would endorse anybody to go out and find one of the first-generation Buick Rivieras. Um, great cars. I've actually had, had a couple of those cars. And uh, they they don't disappoint in terms of style and performance. They're very unique. Um, so our topic, main topic for this week, well, we actually had a couple. So one also was cars that we just simply <clears throat> don't want to live without. In other words, if we could get out there and make our choice, of take our pick of cars that we would most love to have. Um, I think we all have that car that, you know, initially got us started in the, in the hobby perhaps and the one that we love the most. 
And uh, so for me, not surprisingly, you know, we've only had, uh, this is, I think, our fifth show, um, and I'm sure the Hudson Motor Car Company has come up a time or two <laughs> because that's what I cut my teeth on uh, as a hobbyist um, was Hudson's. Um, I first joined the AACA, um, Antique Automobile Club of America, when I was 13. And shortly thereafter, I joined the Hudson Essex Terraplane Club <laughs> and uh, bought a 1952 um, Hudson Wasp. Hmm. That was pretty forlorn. But at any rate, um, Thomas, for me... I'm going to give you a chance to call our friend, and we're going to take our first break. And, and David, um, if you could pump your volume on your end a little bit, it helped me out a lot. All righty, you got it. And uh, we'll be right back with more of Tom Cox right after this. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Thanks, David. So we're uh, we're still worrying about Richard down there. With you know, the last thing I heard, uh, he uh, remarked to me that he heard banjo music down there in uh, Tennessee, and, uh, and that's the last I've heard of him. So you know, <laughs> he's uh, obviously got his hands full down there. Um, so when I was getting ready before uh, the break. You know, we were talking about cars that we just could not live without. And uh, one of those, for me, uh, you know, as I progress through the years, we a lot of us start off with cheap, cheap, you know, when, you, when you're in your teens and you're into car collecting, cheap is good. And uh, a clapped out 52 Hudson Wasp was uh, just a whole lot cheaper than the uh, higher-end uh, Hudson Hornet. And uh, since that time, I've had Hudson Hornets. And I think if I had to give up every car, every last one, which, God, I'd be 
uh, devastated. But the last one to go would be the uh, 53 Hudson Hornet uh, coupe with the uh, big 308 cubic inch uh, long stroke six cylinder engine that uh, was so popular in uh, NASCAR during the time. And uh, they're just great cars. The uh, the unibody construction of those cars gives them a squeak-free, rattle-free ride. Um, you know, I know my Cadillac friends out there, they'll, they'll probably assault me the next time I'm seen in public. But, uh, you know, overall, I, I have to say that uh, the, the Hudson had a tighter, quieter, ride than anything else on the market at the timing, including Cadillac. So it's really, really um, over, vastly underrated. Um, you know, it's Hudson sort of seemed to be there in the background. And then, of course, you know, that uh, Pixar uh, movie uh, Cars came along. And uh, Cars with uh, Paul Newman, uh doing the voice of Doc Hudson, um, really popularized the make. And, of course, then the, the rest is uh, is all history because uh, all of a sudden you had a new generation and a very young generation uh, of kids uh, who knew Hudson as well as they did Ford or Chevy or, or Chrysler. Um, so, But uh, for me, the, uh, the 53 Hudson Hornet, would be the uh, the last one to leave my garage. Now, I have to say, um, anybody that knows me, of course, knows that I'm big on the independent makes. Um, you know, something about the underdog that always appealed to me. And uh, America's independent automobile manufacturers, you know, Nash, Hudson, Studebaker, all of them, they all had their issues. American Motors, but the thing of it was is in order to survive in the marketplace, they were constantly coming out with something innovative, something different, something new, and uh, in order to survive in the marketplace, because Ford and GM particularly just absolutely ruled the market, and, uh, you know, Chrysler, of course, did a great job, but, uh, you know, they, they never got into the... Uh, Crush, into crushing the competition quite the way uh, Ford and GM did, uh, particularly during the, the price wars of the uh, mid-50s uh, when uh, Ford and Chevy were duking it out for uh, top honors. And a lot of the a lot of the independents really, really, really suffered um, at that time. But uh, Good morning. Me, holy smokes, he's just escaped the banjo music. And uh, has now made his way from Tennessee. So uh, what what happened, Richard? You, you like fall off your stoop down there, get lost in the I, thicket? What? I was bass fishing with Billy Joe. <laughs> As it should be, you know, with a, a bass boat with like a 800 horse uh, engine on it for all those really fast bass down there. Yep. No, it's just one of those days. Sorry, guys. The uh, So I was uh, just talking about um, that vehicle that would be the last to leave my garage, the one that I really didn't want to live without. Of course, I don't want to live without any of them, 
although I could live without a without a Renault Dauphin. Um, sorry for the you know for the two people that collect those out there. I, I apologize, but um, was talking about the fact that fifty three Hudson Hornet for me um, is sort of uh, the car that I would least like to give up. I had my choice of only one. It would be a 53 Hudson Hornet. And I'd take it in either a coupe or a sedan form. You know, those cars are one of the few that, you know, are nearly as popular in sedan form as they are in coupe form. What do you yeah, think? Those are, those, those are great cars. I mean, I would love to, like I told you last time, I would love to have a, a Hudson Wasp, a Hudson Hornet. They handle so well for their size and they just look great. They have a look all their own. And uh, well-made, well-designed, well-engineered. Uh, you just can't beat that. So that's a good choice. Well, and, and I like them, okay? So, you know, there's that, too. <laughs> the, yep. Uh, yep. So, so, so for you, I know it would have to be some, you know, forlorn uh, British subject that, you know, you would uh, have. Ah, as you're your wrong. You're no, wrong. I'm wrong. Holy smoke. The Corvair, no, maybe. Have only, if you're going to have only one collector car, it can't be British. There's no way. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> they're just that not that reliable. I mean, you know, they're not as bad as people make them out to be. But, you you uh, heard it, folks. You're not as reliable. You did hear that. <laughs> I know that's a shock. <laughs> But uh, no, if I had to live with only one collector car, it would be a BMW 2002, uh, a round tail model, which was, you know, from 69 to 73. Uh, I've had six of them through the years, and I wish I still had one. And uh, there it's is a great, a car choice, that, great driving car. Oh, they, they handle fantastic. Uh, it seats four. But they handle like a sports car. They're incredibly reliable. They're very durable. And they're just so much fun to drive. I mean, it's just an amazing little car. Uh, I absolutely adore them. And uh, hopefully I hope to have another one in my garage, you know, within the year or so. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can still get parts for those. You know, rust can be an issue like a lot of old cars. But, uh, you know, you buy one from the Southwest. Uh, and it should be no problem, but they handle and steer so nice. It's like you're connected to the machine. It's one of those kind of cars, you know. It's like you're in control at all times, and there's so much glass area. You could see, you know, all around you. I mean, the visibility is unsurpassed of any other car, and uh, unfortunately, you know, they have gone up in price in the last, uh, you know, 10 years, but, uh, yeah, that's the one car that if I had to own just one, it would be a BMW 2002 Roundy, as they call them. No, I'm 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 totally shocked. I uh, you know somehow saw you you know schlepping down the highway and you know uh, your, your your triumph coughing and you know coughing and spitting fuel as you went along. Um, you know with your I'm not feet that hanging out. Hey, with your feet feet hanging out the floorboard. Um, no, I'm available for punishment, but not that much. No, no way. <laughs> the uh, the good thing about those BMWs is the fact that you know parts are pretty rel- relatively available for those cars. I mean, they're, they're pretty easy to source. They're not inexpensive, but uh, you can you can get just about anything you want for them. 
Yeah, you really can. I mean, you know, all the trim is available, fenders are available, and of course, mechanically, you know, I mean, just they really don't need much. They just keep going and going, and you know, they're, they're like those old Volvos, you know, they just keep going. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, just a lot of fun. Volvo Amazon, you know, yeah, the indestructible. I uh, I have a sixty uh, seven uh, eight. Uh, Volvo and uh, it's it's just a great great vehicle. Um, I've had it. For, oh, I didn't I know you had one. Those thir- are great cars. Thir- thirty thirty years, yeah, an eighteen hundred. Um, um, it's a great great car, great car. Um, yeah, I had several Volvo two forties, and you know they call them the tanks, and there's a reason why they call them tanks because they really are like a miniature Sherman for the street, and uh, they're just incredibly reliable. Unbelievably safe, enjoyable to drive with the most comfortable seats ever created. They were orthopedically designed. So, uh, old Volvos are great, you know. I mean, there's a lot of old Pontiacs I would love to have too as a one and only car, like a 64 GTO, but, uh, that would just suck up too much gas. So, uh, I'll stick with the BMW. Yeah, I guess if I went with the gas guzzler, um, I'd probably pick 66 Caddy. Um, Wow. Uh, yeah, I love those cars. You know, and actually, believe it or not, you know, the gas mileage on those is not all that bad. Uh, the, the 429, you know, it wasn't, it didn't sip gas, but, uh, it, it, you know, I've actually gotten as much as like almost like 19 out on the highway with one of those cars. And, uh, you know, it's 19. Just, That's fantastic. Nine, 19. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just a great, great car. For me, I've always been kind of a dash guy. Um, the uh, 66 Cadillac uh, dash is about as pretty to me as any um, that I've yeah, ever... Yeah, it's a nice dash. Um, it's know, almost as nice as a 63 Pontiac. Yeah, that's another great Pontiac dash. That's a great dash. Yeah, it does have a great dash. You know, I, I'd sort of sort of missed that. The, uh, um, you know, of course, you know, while you were, uh, you know, reeling in all the large bass, I was talking about the uh, pick of the week, the uh, 63 through 65 Buick Rivieras. And uh, oh, I know, you, you know we both looked. Yeah, we both looked at that, you know, and, uh, you know, for the money, that was a great car, was it not? Oh, that is fantastic, boy. I mean... That, to me, is one of the prettiest post-war American cars of all time. You know, I, I prefer the 65 with the hidden headlamps, but I would take a 63 or 64 any day of the week. That dashboard is fabulous with the, with the two round, you know, pods and the way the console slants down towards you. I mean, okay, and then you look time. at the exterior. I mean, you know, just stunning automobile. They they hit that one right out of the park. No, it was great, great Great job, styled by Billy Mitchell, uh, the same uh, guy that styled the right, uh, really popular Boat Tail Riviera. And, 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 and gentlemen, it's uh, it's time to take a I think break. I hear David back there. Yep, I'm back here. It's time to take a break. We'll be back with Tom and Richard, and Richard's going to tell us about his magazine when we first come back. So we'll be back right after this. It's a museum. 
It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Okay, and we're back. And we're back with Tom and Richard, and Richard's going to tell us something about crankshafts since he didn't get the edited copy back into us. Or I don't think he did anyway. So tell us about it, Richard. Well, actually, uh, you know, I, I sent you guys the stuff yesterday, but evidently, I don't know what's been happening, uh, probably on my end with my computer. But, uh, you know, it has to route around the Smoky Mountains to get to you, so it's probably somewhere lost in Asheville or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, I'm working on issue four of Crankshafts, and, uh, again, you know, the mail keeps coming in 100% positive. Everyone loves it. Some guy said yesterday, this is the magazine that all mag- other magazines will be judged by, and that made me feel great. But, uh, you know, it's one of those magazines that, you know, if you want to read about mega-dollar collector cars that you can't afford, Crankshaft is not for you. If you want to read about constant auction results and useless how-to tech stories, Crankshaft is not for you. But if you want to read about the history of automobiles and the design and and people who own them and restore them, uh, then Crankshaft is your kind of car magazine. Uh, American and foreign cars, brass era, full classic, vintage race cars, muscle cars, sports cars, and the regular everyday is what we call grocery getters, you know, four-door sedans. Uh, we don't turn our nose up at any kind of car because it's too cheap, because we love cheap cars. Uh, 
we love all kind of cars at Crankshaft, and uh, it's an all-inclusive collector car publication, 144 pages, and uh, it's made of high quality, and, and trust me, uh, you will absolutely love it. Just go to crankshaftmagazine.com, and you could order a single copy, or you could get a one-year uh, subscription. So, uh, yeah, we're having a lot of fun doing it. The people in the industry who are getting it and all the and the hobbyists, they absolutely love it. So please give it a try. Crankshaftmagazine.com. No, I'll, I'll second that. that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely second that. Usually I, I read to go to sleep. You know, I'll, I'll pull something out and I'll start reading and then i'll just drift off and uh you know you've assembled a, a team of uh writers for crankshaft that uh keep you going because it's just so so hard to put down just one of those things that you know you you can't wait to get to the next story um i mentioned earlier in the show mentioned uh alex sultanas and his uh 1944 uh kdf wagon um you He's, there's, you did an article on uh, his restoration and gave some background on that in, uh, uh, I guess it was the third issue, and uh, yeah. really, really cool. I had no idea. Just amazing stuff. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank so. you. And, you know, I want to point out one more thing. No slang. <laughs> we don't talk about, you know, we use correct words. We don't call the station wagon a long roof. You know, I mean, how dumb is that? It's a station wagon. You know, you don't yeah. need to do these stupid nicknames like all these, you know, what? downscale car magazines do. So. <laughs> what about a shooting break? What about a shooting break? <laughs> well, you know, that's, you know, uh, a British term for a station wagon, but that's okay because that's what they call it over there. So, yeah, uh, yeah, no slang. The uh, So we were going to talk about uh, restoration versus um, preservation, you know, and that's something that comes up a lot these days. You know, you, if you go back, oh, gosh, back to when I first got into the hobby, um, you know, gosh, restoration was it. I mean, you know, everybody was into re- restoration, 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 and then, oh, I don't know, it's been about 30-plus-odd years ago, Um People started to take note of the fact that, you know, all these cars were being restored, but there were a lot of really good original cars out there that really deserved to be preserved, not only for the historical accuracy of the cars, because they were just as they were from the factory, um, original materials, you know, even all the flaws that came in on the assembly lines, you know, because, of course, a lot of restored cars are much better than what rolled off the assembly line. Um, because they yep. weren't mass, yep. they're not mass produced. Um, AACA, um, interestingly enough, was one, was the pioneer in terms of large organizations, uh, to recognize the original car and they came out with their, uh, historic preservation of original features, uh, class. And, uh, you know, from there it's just kind of grown and grown and grown. Um, and now originality is a really important uh, part of the hobby, whereas, you know, like I say, 35, 40 years ago, it really wasn't so much the case. Um, but you, you've yeah. got to make that, make that choice. You do. I mean, the HBOF class is, is one of my favorite classes uh, when you go to Hershey and, uh, or any AACA event. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, 12 years ago, I wrote a book called It's Only Original Once, because I was into that, you know, original, unrestored, survivor type of automobile, because preservation is incredibly important, not just for now, but for future generations to see how cars were really made and originally made. But, you know, the great thing about original cars is that they serve as a template, as a window into the past, and they serve as that template for other restorers who need who have the same car, but they don't know, you know, little details of whether it's a chassis marking or the way a bracket is supposed to be, you know, angled or the certain type of, you know, fastener bolt head, you know, uh, how the seats are stitched, things like that. So original cars serve as a template for other restorers to ensure that their restorations are accurate and correct and the way they should be, the way the manufacturers originally made them. So it's, it's really important to, you know, uh, preserve as many original cars as possible because, you know, let's face it, you restore a car and you got that perfect paint, do you really want to go down the highway and get a paint chip? No, you don't. But if you have a number three condition car, you know, which already has paint chips and stuff. And even though the paint's original and it's faded, that's okay. That that shows that not only is the car original, but it's honest. It shows that it's never been messed with. And uh, you could enjoy driving it even more so. But, of course, you know, if it's a really high-quality, well-preserved automobile with low mileage, you know, that, that that's another issue. Do you really want to keep driving it and you know, chance it getting in an accident or something like that. But but whatever it is, uh, we got to preserve as many original cars as possible. And, uh, again, for future generations to see how Detroit and other manufacturers really built them. So that's well, important. It, it, it's really, you're right, it's really important, particularly when, um, say, somebody's putting together a basket case, you know, uh, anybody that's ever been involved in the hobby knows what a basket case is. It's someone that, you know, got deep into the restoration of something. They, you know, got it disassembled. They, um, you know, or it was already disassembled and really worn and rusty and pieces missing and all of those things. Um, but the car never got put back together. And then some soul comes along and says, you know what? I got to get this thing back together. <laughs> restoration shops, professional restorers, amateur restorers, you know, their benchmark is original cars, and they seek these cars out and uh, travel all around the world um, to inspect original vehicles. Um, a, a friend of mine uh, just went to great lengths to uh, determine the exact original material used in the convertible top on 31 Buick. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, he looked at vehicles extensively, and once he finally determined that he had the original material, he actually had it made. Um, I mean, that's wow. how, exacting, how exacting his restoration has to let, you know, without the original material to look at, you're really just shooting in the dark. Um, yeah, so, and, you know... Another thing about original cars is, I know, especially in the Mopar world and the Corvette world, where they look at original cars and they see 
how those parts were painted and hung up at the factory. Which way do the paint drips go? What direction? And what about the overspray from the body onto the chassis? And they try to duplicate that, that overspray pattern and with the right amount of overspray. And, you know, also date-coated radiator hoses, date-coated glass. I mean, it, you know, if you have a, you know, carburetor, let's say it's a Q-Jet on a GTO, you want to make sure that it's the correct number and things like that. So uh, it goes beyond just, you know, original paint and interior and carpeting and chrome. It goes, you know, how was that car assembled? And you need to look at the original unrestored cars to see that spray pattern, to see where, you know, paint runs were done on the control arms and A-arms and things like that. And, you know, the differential, what kind of, you know, okay marking did it have when it came down the line you know was it yellow was it green and where was that marking was it on the axle was it on the pumpkin so you know they really do serve as a template for restorers to get their restorations absolutely authentic and correct it's uh, automotive forensics is what it is um you know that way you get all the way down and peel back the onion and find out exactly how everything was done um, I have a I have a couple of original cars. I've had several over the years. Uh, presently, I have a a sixty uh, Pontiac Bonneville uh, four door flat top, um, known as a Vista hard top. Um, but it, you know we call them flat tops. That's yeah, part of that yeah. slang slang you were talking about that you won't be using. You just be calling them Vista. I'm just a heathen. I know that, and I, I you know I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. <laughs> the uh, but the uh, that that car is one hundred percent original, uh, with the exception of you know tires and and belts and expendable items. Um, but it's a hundred percent, and it's a a blast. I love the car. The fact that it's all original. There's something about you know the history of it that appeals to me too. I think about the fact that everything in that car was done at the factory by the factory workers you know and yep. uh, you know somebody put that thing together and you know sent it on down to the next station on the line um it's got forty four thousand miles on it uh, wow great nice. driver yeah it's an awesome car it's got the you know the red tritone interior uh white exterior um and uh, just a a great car a lot of fun a lot of fun to drive but the, the other part of it is you know, when you start thinking restoration versus preservation, we've talked about all the, you know, issues regarding, you know, providing uh, a forensic path, if you will, for restorers. The other part of it is, you know, it's kind of what do you want in your car? You know, what do you want out of your car? Um, right. And for me, take, for instance, that Pontiac, um, as you said, you know, if I restored that car, I probably wouldn't be driving it all the time. I, I mean, I drive it to the office frequently. Um, you know, drive it just to go pick up parts somewhere. It's it's a a lot of fun. If I restored it a hundred percent, I wouldn't be enjoying it as much as I I do. But now, you know, the restoration path is one of those long ones where. You know, you you start once you start, you're like, you know, well, gosh, you know, I'm just going to freshen up the engine a little bit. 
you know, uh, get in there, you know, maybe do the valves and this and that and the Last other thing. Break, one thing always leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and the next thing you know, <laughs> you're, you're in, in, in. Sure. You're in hip deep, you okay, know, uh, uh, doing break, the restoration. <laughs> if you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. And we're back on the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Back to you guys. All right. So, you know, restoration. Talking about restoration versus preservation. Yeah. You know, the one thing that, you know, always surprises me, you know, and I've owned a a bunch of cars over the years, um, you know, well. Into the well over a hundred, we'll say that. Um, and you know, the one thing I find is if you really try to bring something back, you can do a heck of a job with something. I, I have a, a, you know, of course, an unusual car too. Um, of course, I, I'm sort of an eclectic sort myself, but the I have a 1939 Hupmobile, uh Model E sedan, which was a Pretty rare bird. Um, yeah. You know, there, there were only a couple thousand Model E's produced before a Hupmobile circled the bowl and disappeared. But, um, you know, it's, it's an all original car. It's never, it was never titled out of the dealer's name. It was the last car he bought from Hupmobile as a Hupmobile dealer. And he kept it for his personal car. It's got 30 some thousand miles on it. But, uh, oh, nice. you know, it, original it hadn't paint? been, Original paint, but here's the kicker, okay? You know, when I got the car, and I, I'd been waiting for this car for about 10 years, and I finally got that call. You know, it's one of those cars that you tell people, gosh, give me a call if that ever comes up for sale. You forget about it. And then one Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock, you know, somebody says, you know, you ready to buy that hot mobile? Uh, um, uh, 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 well, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> You know, which automobile? <laughs> so, um, you know, but the car, while it had been garaged, um, you know, it was up, up in Jersey um, in a garage, and it was an older garage. It wasn't 
um, airtight, wasn't climate controlled. And so, you know, the paint chalked up a bit um, on the body and uh, it had a lot of haze um, in it. I thought for sure I'd never be able to bring it back. But, um, you know, the body itself, right? oh my God, I, I'm blown away. Now, it's a heck of a lot of work. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, all that buffing uh, will wear you out. But I actually was able to bring that the body of the car and the doors and everything back to a really high luster um, that really looks great. Now, on the other hand, you talk about how, you know, finding out how things were made and manufactured when you're looking at an original car. The fenders. <laughs> Obviously, they painted the fenders separately from the body. Yeah of the car. So all the fenders were painted somewhere else in the factory and, you know, they brought them over there and slapped them on the cars. Well, the guys that worked in the fender department, you know, they were cheap. (laughs) They didn't want to put a whole lot of paint on those fenders. (laughs) So the body has a lot of paint on it. The fenders, not so much. Um, Uh, So I'm still in the process of trying to, to, to bring it back. But something that I found out along the way... You know, there's a product out there called CLR, calcium for calcium lime rust. Um, yeah. It's supposed to dissolve and remove um, rust. What I've done is, is on those fenders, it's got light, so they've got light surface rust on them because they're so, you know, the paint's so thin. And uh, what I've done is I use CLR and then I use like a really fine Scotch Brite pad on it. And I'm able to, with the CLR and a fine scotch bright pad, kind of um, get rid of the rusty look to it. And, uh, you know, that thin coat of paint, you know what? I think it's going to be preserved well enough that I'm not going to have to go in and repaint those fenders. I think I can can get by with it, you know, without people making fun of me and stuff. So, you know. Well, once you, once you get them clean with the CLR, uh when I had my Triumph GT6 that had original paint, and you know, red paint always gets chalky and dull after, you know, a couple of decades. The hub's red. Uh, yeah. It's red. Okay, this is what you got to do. Uh, you don't want to compound it or anything because then you're going to take off that thin layer of paint. So I use Formby's Furniture Wood Conditioner. It's that, it's like a, a, a mustard color yellow gel. And it conditions wood. I mean, you know, that's what it does. And you apply it on the car and you let it sit for like overnight. And then you just, you know, wipe it off the next day and you buff it with your hand. And uh, you'll be amazed at the ingredients in that uh, wood conditioner, how it gets into the paint. And it just brings it back. I mean, it, it just blew me away. And my my dull red paint on the Triumph that was applied in 67, it just came back and it looked fabulous. Of course, it didn't last, you know, a year. You have to do it again, you know, every, every six, seven months. But uh, that's a good little trick. And, and it doesn't remove any paint, which is something that you'll probably be interested in you know that paint is so thin on the hub you don't got to be careful you don't want to remove anything but uh give that a try formby's uh, furniture wood conditioner I'll, I'll have to i'll have to give it a try yeah these have gotten to the point where 
you know, the actual surface of the fender was actually a little bit rough. Um, yep. So I had to smooth it out so that I could actually get a little bit of a little bit of gloss. So, you know, I'm at the point where I, I can definitely try this, um, try it out, and, and see if see if it'll work. Um, you know, and the other part is the you know, you know interior. Interior's in great condition, but you know, over the years, you know, you got an occasional mouse, occasional chipmunk, a squirrel. Yep. Um, you get in there Everywhere. and, uh, yeah. yep. and, uh, you know, you get stains. Um, and, sure. you know, I, I've actually, uh, found that, uh, you know, and everybody has a different way of doing it, but, uh, you know, I use a little bit of, uh, Dawn dishwashing detergent in, uh, in water and, uh, just sort of. Gently work it into the fabric, and then uh, once I've done that, then I go back and, and blot it with a nice, clean, uh, super-absorbent towel. And, uh, you know, I've been able to have really good results with that. You've got to be careful. You need to, anything that you're going to use, particularly on old, you know, broadcloth interior um, uh, or, or just, you know, a regular um, cloth interior, you need to test Test in an inconspicuous spot so that you know you don't yep. find out that you know it like eats a hole in it or uh, you know bleaches it out because I mean that's really easy to do and then you've you know made a huge mistake if you like working on the center of your uh, cushion um, it's it's a, it's a real mess. You know what's good to use when you're cleaning stuff and you have small little areas uh, a toothbrush. You know they have stiff bristles and. Uh, they're easy to control. They have a nice handle for you. I mean, a toothbrush just works wonders, especially, you know, if you need to get in grooves and that you can't do with, uh, you know, uh, a rag and, and at the edge of your finger. You don't want to do that. But, you know, a toothbrush or even artist brushes gets into great spots. So, you know, give that a try. But, you know, you're talking about, or we're talking about, you know, uh, preserving paint. It gets to a point where paint, can't be preserved and you don't want you know the body to turn to rust and then the car is you know gone so they get to that point where restoration does make sense over preservation so uh you know if you have rust in the rocker panels and things like that if you don't take care of it it's only going to seep upwards into the body so uh it's a fine line of when the car does need to be restored. But if it can be preserved, go for it. If it can't, then it has to be restored, restored and saved. So, you know, that's two sides of the coin there. Yeah. You know, rust, rust is the uh, enemy for sure. Um, and it's it also the deciding factor oftentimes, um, particularly, you know, if you've got something other than surface rust. Um, you know, there's really no way to get around it. You know, you got to cut it out. And I had never, never cut out a rusted section that I did not find more rust in. You know, there's always more there than you ever imagined. Um, Ten times you know, more. It's the rust you don't yeah. see. Right. If it's, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, you know, you start out with one patch and then, you know, next thing you know, you know, you're into a whole quarter panel 
And, uh, you know, that's something good to remember, too, when you're out looking at cars and, you know, you're looking at something to buy. Um, just remember, you know, if you see some rust, there's always more. And, uh, yeah, ten times more is a pretty good uh, thought. Yeah, especially with vinyl roofs. If you're looking at a car in the 60s or 70s with a vinyl roof and you see some rust bubbles in one corner, let me tell you something, pal. There's rust all over underneath that vinyl roof. That's just the worst spot popping through because it's just, you know, it it just spreads, you know. Uh, it spread like the blob. It just, you know, crawled into every little nook and cranny. And uh, that's that's something you got to watch out for, cars with vinyl roofs. You really do. Spreads like the blob. Yeah. Now, that yeah, sounds like something that ought to, you, you ought to write that into a, into a story there somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, when they talk about cheap cars, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheap cars and the blob. And that sounds like a great, that, great title. Cheap cars and the blob. Cheap cars and the blob, <laughs> and you know, that rust gets in there, and you don't take care of it, and boom, the car's gone. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> it's useless. Boom, it's useless. You just gone. Lose the car. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, we've got to wrap it up. We'll wrap it up. Uh, tell everybody out there, uh, I'd like to tell everybody, you know, get out there, get on, as Rich says, get off the couch, work on your car, and uh, join up with a decent organization that will have uh, like-minded people at your fingertips, like AACA. I tell you, we've got a new website at AACA, www.aaca.org. Check it out and go there. And uh, thanks for putting up with us. We appreciate you putting up with us every week. Okay, we're out of here. guys. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.